There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the do I. Hello and welcome to the Power Chord Hour, Episode 9. I'm your host, Anthony Merchant, and thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the podcast. I'm very excited to be here with you as always. And if you did not check out last week's episode, I want to thank Joe Rio of Hidden in Plain View, frontman of Hidden in Plain View, for uh, coming on and talking to me all about Life and Dreaming, which turned 15 years old about a week, I think it was like a week or so before I spoke to him. It turned it turned 15 in February, like I it like early maybe like I don't know, like February 20th or something, somewhere in that realm. And then I talked to him about a week later, and I mean, it was just an absolute blast. I think if you go listen to it, I think you can hear. And I, th- this is the biggest compliment I've gotten on the interview so far. People seem to really like it. I mean, it's honestly, it was our most downloaded episode yet, and I mean, really fast too. I got, I got to say, that was, uh, that was pretty cool because I, I thought that the interview went well when, I, when I did it. So then for it to be released and to see how well it's went, you know, has made me really happy. But the biggest compliment I've gotten is a lot of people saying like, oh, like this is a this is a good listen for any fan because the guy, you know, me, the guy who's interviewing him uh, sounds like he's legitimately a fan. And they're absolutely right. You know, I've, I've spoke about it before on here. But, you know, like, like when I interview people on the show, I don't do tons and tons of interviews. And I want to do more since we do the podcast now as well as the radio show. And with the radio show, I do more music heavy. I like to spin different songs and play more music for people. But, you know, having having the podcast, I do want more guests on. But the thing with me is there's a quality control because I don't, you know, I mean, I want to help expose bands and music and stuff, but I stand behind the people who I have on, you know, including when I reach out to them, you know. So when I when I had Joe on, it's not like it was, you know, a publicist. You know, it wasn't like someone from Drive Through Records sent me an email and said, hey, you know, can you have Joe on so we can, like, promote you know life and dreaming for the 15th anniversary and like you know try to promote like the vinyl reissue or something like that you know there's nothing like that I hit him up because I love that record and you know I thought he'd be fun to talk to and uh, lo and behold I was right I had an absolute blast talking to him so you know like I said I just want to thank Joe again you know before we get into it I had an absolute blast you know talking to him really really just a great great interview I had so much fun I learned so much from him I mean to me, that's a gratifying interview when I can be done and I can learn something because, you know, sometimes with interviews, you're asking, you know, a lot of the same old questions and, you know, you don't always learn anything. But, you know, that's kind of that's kind of the mission for any interview, including for me, like I said, as a fan, you know, I want to learn these things. I don't just want to get, you know, a good inter- obviously I want to get a good interview for, you know, the listeners to check out. I want everyone to enjoy it. But, you know, I also would like to be, you know, stoked about what comes out, you know, the final product. And, you know, with with Joe, that was just it was absolutely amazing. I mean, to be honest, it went so well. I mean, there was no editing. I, uh, you know, I talked to him and then I posted it. You know, we posted it here on the podcast and on the radio show. And uh, it just went so well. You know, there was no there was no need to go in and edit anything. There's no you know, like dull moments or like awkward silences or anything like that, you know, which not to say that happens a lot, but, you know, there are interviews where, you know, sometimes you hit a lull or, you know, maybe, maybe there's like, 
like I said, maybe a little silence in between or, you know, the, the person's taking, you know, maybe giving a drawn out answer, you know, whatever the reason is. But with that one, it did not feel like that at all. I'm just like, this is, I think people are going to think this is perfect the way it is. You know, I mean, Joe was great. Joe was very, I thought he was thorough. And I, I hope that sounds good. I, t- I tell, sometimes I tell guests that and I hope they, they realize that that's a compliment. And I, and I preface it normally by saying, like, I mean, this is a compliment, but it's like you were thorough with your answers. And by that, I mean, they didn't just go yes or no. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't a thing like when I asked Joe, like, you know, w- was the recording process easy, you know, for Life and Dreaming? He didn't just say yes. And then like out of the next question, you know, he actually explained it. He talked about it. He talked about what was easy, what wasn't easy. You know, he's very thorough about it. And like, like I said, that's that's honestly what you want out of a guest. And I, I think people listening want that as well. You know, you don't you don't want short answers. I mean, you want you also don't want drawn out things, but it's like, you know, you want to you really want to know something. You want them to kind of dwell into that question. And, you know, I thought Joe did that, which was very, very fun, you know, when looking back on something like Life and Dreaming. And, and also, I mean, the premiere, you know, him premiering on the Power Chord Hour as a fan is absolutely amazing. If you did not listen, I, uh, I guess I will spoil it, but uh, he did announce new music for Hidden in Plain View. And I'll only say that you can go you can go check it out, find out how much music, when all of those things. But I will tell you this sometime in the future. There is going to be some hidden in plain view music, some new music, and uh, he premiered that right here on the Power Chord Hour podcast and uh, radio show, and that was just so rad. I mean, I was I was so stoked on that, and I also want to thank Chorus.fm who uh, posted it, and I, I thought it was absolutely awesome. I thought that was really cool that they put that up there because uh, back in the day when that was still AbsolutePunk.net, you may remember it as that. But, uh, and it's still great as Chorus FM, still really good uh, place. Go check out for, like, music news and stuff. I go look there a lot of times and see what's up. But, uh, you know, back in the day when it was AbsolutePunk.net, you know, like, in college, I remember, I mean, just hours, whether I was at my college job or, you know, just hanging out in the school library. Like, I'd just be on AbsolutePunk.net all day reading music news, you know, going on the forums and stuff, including the classifieds. I bought so many records and CDs off that thing you know, for years. I mean, I, I guess my peak years were probably like 2011 to like 2014, you know, maybe, maybe like there, I'd say like that stretch there. Um, I mean, just on there constantly buying stuff and, you know, just reading through all the, all the threads and stuff. I, I discovered so many bands that way, you know, and I didn't discover drive through records through them, but I did find a lot of drive through bands through absolutepunk.net. So, I mean, really did kind of shape a lot of my uh, music taste. So, I mean, I do got to give them a shout out. And, you know, before before we get too much further into it, too, I also want to, you know, speaking about being stoked, I want to thank so much our very first sponsor of the Power Chord Hour podcast. I'm so stoked to talk about them, but Podcorn, something that I actually use. And if you've not heard about this and you're a podcaster, if you have your own podcast, definitely listen to what I have to say. This thing is really cool and you're going to really like it. It's going to help you out a lot. Podcorn is, I mean, it's a marketplace that's connecting podcasters to some really great sponsorship opportunities. You can go on there and, you know, it's not just connecting with just whatever's on there. You know, it's not something where they just go, hey, go throw this ad on there that has nothing to do with, you know, your podcast. It's not like that. You can go through there and you go see all the people who, uh, you know, are looking to collaborate with you and your podcast and different ideas too. You can go on there. I mean, you can get paid for host red ads, uh, topical discussions, interview segments, and a whole lot more. So, I mean, you can go on there and collaborate 
with these brands. And it's really neat because, like I said, it's not just going on there and going, oh, here, you know, I don't know, here's a soup company. You know, let me advertise soup on, like, my sports podcast or something. You know what I mean? Like something that you go – this is irrelevant to my podcast, but I'm just looking for sponsors. You don't have to worry about that. You can go on there and there's quality control. You can find the ones that best fit you. And I think that's what's so cool about it. I've been going on there looking for uh, sponsors for the podcast. And uh, I do want to thank Podcorn once again for sponsoring the podcast and being our very first sponsor. Very, very cool. So go check them out. Podcorn.com, our very first sponsor right here, sponsoring this episode of the Power Chord Hour podcast. So if you like what you hear, go thank them. And like I said, if you're a podcaster, go check that out, podcorn.com. That is uh, going to help you out a lot like it has helped me out a lot and is going to continue to in the future. But, you know, as as I was talking about, you know, speaking of drive through records, it, it really came up when I was talking to Joe last week. And I, and I guess it's been coming up a lot lately, which kind of brings us on. It's not just talking to Joe, but I was even talking to a friend about drive through records not long before talking to uh, Joe and it really makes you think you know if you listen to that if you listen to that interview and I mean you're a fan of Hidden in Plain View you probably know why I asked so many questions about drive through or that mentioned drive through records you know I shouldn't say that like it was it was like drive through heavy per se but they did get mentioned and referenced and you know I mean I brought them up a few times but you know it's a topic that that was brought up you know just from talking to him and talking to my friend and it's really like basically label loyalty and it's something that's very special that you don't see a lot of and you really don't see present day as much and what I'm talking about is you know it's it almost sounds funny sometimes but it's really it's basically being a fan of a record label which I I think is a very special thing to like punk an alternative I mean there's certain ones in other genres like I know like if I think of like rap I mean Death Row Records obviously comes to mind and I'm sure there's way more too but it's like there's certain ones that may come to mind where you go like okay like there are people who would go like yeah like I'm a fan of Death Row Records you know because you're just a fan of basically everything they put out or you know a majority of what they put out but I think in Punk and Alternative we have that and did have that a lot more than you see other places cuz like really it's funny but it's like it it's really almost I would almost say the smaller the label, almost the better chance that they have like a loyal cult following and people who will just buy whatever they put out. And in a good way where they trust it, where they can go, okay, well, they're putting it out so I know it's good. But it's kind of funny because you think about it, if like the average like say pop music listener, like, you know, if if you looked in their in their record collection and they listen to mostly like top 40 things, you know, just just whatever's on the radio, you know, they may have like 80 or 90% of their albums may be like, say, from Capitol Records or Interscope. You know, it, they could be from Geffen. Like, they could be from one of those major labels. And, you know, I don't think that person would be like, oh, yeah, you know, I love Capitol Records. Or like, you know, I'm always checking out what Capitol Records puts out. Like, they probably have no clue that, you know, Capitol Records even put out half half of the albums that, you know, are sitting on their shelf, if not more than half the albums. And, you know, I think... I think really that's the norm in most cases. But in punk and alternative, I, I think what labels have done, you know, I, I think people don't people don't give them enough credit. But I think what labels really have done and did in the past even more, you know, before we kind of got to this Internet age where a lot of bands could do a lot more DIY stuff, you know, and it's good or bad. Or I shouldn't say good or bad. It's good and bad, you know, and I think a lot of it is up for debate. But what I think punk and alternative labels did and a lot of strong ones, which I want to highlight here today, is – 
is really, like I said, label loyalty, where you go, including drive through records, I'll probably use as most examples. That's my favorite label of all time. And, you know, and that's kind of funny. You know, like I said, like there's a lot of genres where I don't think people have like favorite labels and stuff. Like normally that becomes like kind of niche genres and stuff. You know, it's not it's like I said, I don't think most people who listen to like just whatever's on the radio or something would have a favorite record label. I, I think you got to be into certain things and then you appreciate that label because they put out, you know, whatever kind of music it is. And there's not a lot of other people doing it. You know what I mean? And uh, drive through records, though, like. One of the most successful things they did, and I mean, I've gotten this from not only interviewing, I've interviewed a few people who have been on drive through Records. I'm friends with a few people who have been on drive through Records. Um, and just talking, and more than anything, too, just talking to guys after shows, you know, from drive through bands. And I can tell you, like, what, and you can go back and listen to interviews that I've done. And I mean, sometimes they say this verbatim, sometimes they say it in other ways. But basically, the story you get from all of them is, yeah, you know, they kind of, you know, maybe they screwed us over in this way or, you know, we weren't happy with everything they did, but we'll be damned if they aren't the reason people are still coming to see us or, you know, aren't the reason that we're as big as we are. And I think that's the thing with drive through records. You know, there there's certain things, maybe criticisms, you know, you can put those aside. And honestly, I mean, a label that just so successfully got people to love the record label as much as they did the bands. You know what I mean? And I, and I don't think that's far-fetched. I'm saying that as a fan personally. Like, I love drive through Records just as much as I love the albums that they put out. You know, they put out a lot of important records to me. And for that, you know, I really care. And not just that, but I mean, whether it's, I mean, it, they have a great logo. I mean, great, and a great, great tagline, too. I mean, more rock than a crack house is amazing. I sadly, my favorite hoodie I've ever owned was my drive through Records hoodie with the drive through logo on the front and the back says more more rock than a crack house. And I don't know what the hell happened to it. I had it in my closet and I don't know if it got hooked on something or what, but there got a bunch of tears in it. And I, I owned the thing for like three months and I swear to you, the most comfortable hoodie I ever owned. Maybe that's another reason why I'm so loyal. They make damn good hoodies. But, you know, just a label that really could market themselves, you know, a great a great logo. You know, they had a, they had humor. I mean, they had great bands and something that I talked to Joe about last week a little bit were compilations and drive through records were like the kings of compilations. You know, a lot of labels put them out. A lot of labels put good ones out. But drive through records specifically put out like I think the greatest compilations of all time. My favorite of all time, not even just talking about drive-through releases, but their their very first. No, I shouldn't say their very first compilation. I take that back. It's probably their third or fourth. But uh, you'll never eat fast food again, which they put out back in I believe 1997. So insane to think. I, I almost said almost 20 years old. It is over 20 years old. That thing's like 23 years old now. But it is my all-time favorite compilation. And what I like about it so much is it really defines a time and place for music in a certain scene, which also goes, and I, you know, I, I, I hate to reference back so much, but to last week's interview, because we were kind of also talking about the importance of like New Jersey pop punk and ska in the late nineties, early two thousands and the special, what a special scene they had at that time. And you'll never eat fast food again is a good representation of that because so many, I would say of, and there's a bunch of bands on that, uh, on that uh, compilation and this is a shot in the dark. I might be wrong, but say there's 15 bands on that compilation. I'm going to say 10 of them are from New Jersey. 
So it's like you look at that and you think the importance of it. So when you listen to You'll Never Eat Fast Food Again, it's a document of that New Jersey scene at that time. And it is. It's a great It's a great mix between the, the pop punk stuff and the more ska stuff. You have like early early uh, RX bandits, like right after they became RX bandits and were no longer the pharmaceutical bandits. You had Phoenix TX on there not too long after they uh, changed their name after being River Phoenix for the first few years. Um, Alistair's on there, like one of the first comps I think Alistair was on. Newfound Glory, I mean, they're off their first uh, drive-through release, a couple songs off that. Um, I mean, Caught Inside, Mother Mania, Cousin Oliver, like, and those are some of my favorite early drive-through releases. Those were, that compilation got me into early drive-through. That's where I learned about, like, those really, they are obscure. They're bands who you have to go searching for, which I always appreciate about it because I was discovering these bands in, like, 2011, 2012, you know, in the internet age, not all that long ago. And it's like you had to work to find those. Like I, I literally like I have this big I have a huge collection of Mother Mania's music, like a bunch of unreleased stuff and B sides and rarities. It took me years of emailing people. I got that thing because I emailed. I eventually and I don't even think I emailed him for that. I somehow tracked him down on eBay because I think he was selling like a Mother Mania CD and I just shot in the dark. I'm like, I already had that CD, but I'm like Hey, you know, do you happen to have anything else? And he's like, yeah, I released, you know, like I released some of their albums. I think he, he might've been, I think he ran Montgomery records. I almost want to say shout out to him. This was, I don't know, five, six years ago at this point, but a rad guy I talked to a little via email, but he sent me all this. And it's just so funny because it's like in this age of Spotify and YouTube and iTunes. And I mean, just going to the record store and being able to find stuff and then being able to get you just about anything with special ordering. There's albums out there by like Mother Mania music that I had to find someone who had it. Like I had to go track it down. Like, you know, because they were a band too that were out pre MySpace. They missed the MySpace days. They do have one, or they did have one, probably don't anymore, but it was like retroactive. Like I think they made it after breaking up, but it's like they weren't really a band, and that's when social media was really heavy. So it's like, you know, they probably had a GeoCities website or something that's been long gone, you know, for 15 years now. And, uh, you know, not a whole lot out there. So I had to go track it down. But anyway, I, I learned about them and so many others from You'll Never Eat Fast Food Again. And, I mean, also fell in love with drive through Records with that. I mean, you read it, like, inside the liner notes, just horrifying stories of, like, teenage punks just doing terrible things to food in their shitty fast food jobs and stuff. You know, just just things like that. I mean, just hilarious. And like I said, they knew how to market themselves in a great way, not in a disingenuous way. I mean, I think that was truthfully them. But it's like they were a punk and ska label that knew what was good. And I think they also signed what they liked. Like, I think Richard and Stephanie are, like, the two greatest A&R people in, like, the history of the world because – as, as much as I love drive through Records, their roster, I do believe them when they say they basically, you know, it's kind of a boutique label where they picked the bands that they liked. They didn't release music that they didn't like. They were only releasing stuff that they enjoyed, and I truly believe that when you look at their roster and what they put out and how much they put out. Because I don't think they ever went too crazy either where, like, they were just putting out anything. You know what I mean? So, I mean, drive through Records, to me... And a lot of other people, one of the biggest, like when you want to talk label loyalty or actually being into what a label does, same with the drive through DVDs. Like people love those DVDs. I, I have I have all of them, but volume two is my favorite. That's kind of the fan favorite, I'd say. But uh, I've brought that to like every show I've went to for a drive through band and got it signed. I've got it signed by 
all of the early November, all of the movie life, and then not all of, but members of, I believe I have Finch on there, Senses Fail, Newfound Glory, Hidden in Plain View, Joe's signature is on it, our last week's guest, and uh, a few others that I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, Kenny Vasola, or Vasoli, I'm sorry, of uh, the starting line, he signed it. So a couple, a couple others, but I mean, I probably have like 30 signatures on that thing. But I mean, it's an amazing DVD, and it's just a lot of it is just the bands fucking around, like just screwing around and just, just being idiots, really, just being young kids who are in punk bands and just hanging out in New Jersey, <laughs> excuse me, hanging out in New Jersey diners and just being young, really, being young in a band, and it's and it's really funny, you know what I mean? Like you watch these. And they're rewatchable. You know, I, I, I guess it really is, too. It's like I get why the DVD. It's the same with the compilation. The Internet took a lot of these things away, and I understand it. You know, like the DVDs basically became YouTube. You know what I mean? Like those funny clips. Like there's a great clip of like Hidden in Plain View in the early November in a New Jersey diner. And it's just them screwing around with a video camera. And then they go out in the parking lot and are like they start doing an impromptu rap and just a bunch of ridiculous things. And it's hilarious. And you think about it, though, and it's like a 10-minute clip, and you go, that's YouTube now. You know, that would, that would just go on YouTube. That would be a clip on Drive Through Records' YouTube page. You know, if they, were, if they were doing the same thing present day, those would just be uploaded like that, you know, which is cool. But it's like you kind of, I don't know, to me, I miss the personal touch of, like, you know, it's on a DVD. Like, you go get the DVD and go check out what's on it. You know, discover new bands that way as well. You know, I mean, not just the compilations. You discover new bands from watching those DVDs, too. But like Drive Through Records is my personal favorite, and I would I would say they're one of the biggest as far as like people loving that label, you, you know. And I, and I think people get what I'm saying with like label loyalty. I'm sure you out there, if you're listening to this, I'm sure there's ones. Whether it's you know, I mean, maybe it's Saddle Creek, maybe it's Polyvinyl, you know, maybe it's Epitaph, you know, whatever it is, you may have a favorite label. I'd love to hear it. Hit me up at powercordhour@gmail.com, and uh, you know, I mean, this is something we could keep discussing next week too. But, like, I would say the biggest label, and the label's still doing it, like, one of the last labels to still really have that thing where you just buy something because the label's on it, you know, is Fat Records. I mean, Fat Records has to be, it'll, it'll go down in history, I would say. I mean, I would, and once again, hit me up on that email if you disagree with this, but I can't think of a bigger label to go down as like, you know, really just people that, that loyalty, including in punk and alternative. I mean, you know, I would even go outside the realm of that, but exclusive, but if we're going exclusive punk and alternative, there is not, I can't think of one other one that's bigger. I think Epitaph at one point, but Epitaph, I don't think has, I think they still have label loyalty. It's not me shitting on them. And I still think Epitaph puts out great records and I'll get, I'll get to Epitaph. So I won't go too far into this. But what I'm saying is basically I, I think I think Epitaph still has label loyalty, but not as much as they maybe once did, where I think Fat Records still has the label loyalty that they've always possessed. I think people still to this day, if it's on Fat Records, it's gonna it's gonna move some copies. You know what I mean? It may not go it may not even go gold, but if your album's gonna come out on Fat Records, people are gonna go pick it up. I mean it 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 is just true. I mean I can tell I've always believed this. But I want to tell you, I mean, since doing the power cord hour, there's a lot of a lot of times I'll get like, you know, I'll get access to some music early and whatnot. And, you know, th- I'm, I'm so thankful for it. I think it's the coolest thing about it. You know, I hope this doesn't sound like it's gloating. 
But just like that's to me, it's one of the coolest things that a lot of times I'll get like, you know, like downloads and stuff from like some fat releases coming out. But what I'm getting to is, you know, I think now more than ever, I have my eye on everything that fat rec releases because I'm always getting press releases and things like that. You know, so I'm always I know what they put out. And with that, I go online and I look at like what people are checking out or, you know, I'll even just just on social media. I'll just see what my friends and, you know, other other people are like checking out, listening to. And all the fat bands that, like, I'll get, like, an advance for or a single, all of a sudden you start seeing them everywhere. Like, you start go like, people really do. Like, people check them out when they're on fat records. And I think that's true. I think bands would credit them as well. I don't, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that being on fat records brings you in. I mean, there's, all, there's also a quality of the music. The music's good, but that, that goes with that. You know, what, what we know as fans is fat records puts out good music. So you you know what I mean? Like you're you're gonna listen to it and you know it's gonna be good. There's not this weary like, well, you know, every now and then they put out something good, but normally it's a clunker. It's not like that. You know, so you can go, this man like the last gang, like the last gang, they put out their stuff a couple of years ago now. It's funny, it's been a few years at this point, like 2018. But I think that's a good example of one of a band who I'd never heard of before signing to Fat. And then checking them out, falling in love with them, which right away I'm like, they're on fat records, they're going to be good. And they were. They blew me away. And you see people talking about them. Like, really, like, like being in a band that was around for quite a while before that, but after signing to fat records, I mean, people really know them now in the, you know, in the punk rock scene. And I think that's awesome. And, you know, on, on top of that, it's the same with the tours and bands touring, you know. And going back to drive through, they did the drive through Invasion tour. And, I mean, that that's just one. I mean, there's so many goddamn tours the drive through Records did with, you know, a bunch of the bands. And uh, same with Fat Records. I mean, I went and saw the Fat Records 25-year anniversary tour back in 2015. So, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, then Fat Records has been going strong now 30 years but, you know, I mean, they're they're one where, you know, the label mates tour so much to this day. I mean, Legwagon and Less Than Jake are about to embark on a tour and Legwagon and Face to Face did one in the fall. I mean, a lot of the openers are like fat bands. Bomb Pops are about to go out with, I think, Teenage Bottle Rocket. If they're not now, they have I mean, they've done quite a few with a bottle rocket. And I mean, bands, bands that are on fat still, and then bands who are like, you know, we're on fat and aren't anymore, you know, and are still cool with them. I mean, there's so many bands who come and go like less than Jake has been on fat records multiple times. Um, I mean, there's, I'm trying to think of some others face to face. Um, that's another one. I mean, there's tons of others too, that really have went to other labels and come back to fat. And I think that says something about a label too. It makes you go, oh, okay, they must treat them well. Because here's the thing, I won't get too far into this, but you know, I think Victory Records, it's no, it's no secret that a lot of times they've had some difficulties over the years with some of their bands, you know, and I won't bash them. And they're another one who I think is well, like where they've had legal problems. And I think I think there are things where they've really screwed over bands and it's not cool. I think also, though, that they, as a label, like with that aside, I mean, taking taking that aside, that's not cool at all. But what I'm saying is you take that aside, Victory is another one that knows how to market themselves, knows how to market their bands, and, you know, can really get some ears and eyes on a band. But, um, you know, the thing is with Victory is what I'm saying is you don't really see bands re-signing with Victory. You really don't see that. There's not a lot of bands who signed with them, went away, and came back and signed with them. Whereas Fat Records, that happens quite a bit, which makes you go, okay, they must be cool. And, you know, they also, yeah, contracts must be pretty relaxed. Like, they must be pretty cool with things. Like, 
the only person like I, I think I've heard this in interviews where people talk about it or not people, but Fat Mike talks about it. And uh, basically, I think the only band he really has issue issues with is uh, Screeching Weasel. Or, I mean, more more specifically, Ben Weasel. You know, I, I I think that's pretty well documented too. You know, as well as the Fat Records and uh, Screeching Weasel feud. Though another band who was on the label twice, they were on the label two separate occasions. But uh, I don't I don't see them ever being on that label again. And uh, you know, I don't really know who's wrong or right. I love Screeching Weasel. I love Fat Records and No Effects. And uh, all that But I mean really that's a good track record If the only band that really Really even the only guy who has much You know like shit to say about your label Is just Ben Weasel Like that's really pretty that, That's pretty good I'd say That's a pretty good track record But you know they're they're just another one And I mean you know you talk about label loyalty And I mean trusting them like that What you get out of that too is they define a scene I mean it's the same with drive through records If you look if you look at pop punk in the early 2000s, Drive Through Records defined that. Like, I mean, there were other labels putting out great bands, but Drive Through Records like defined the sound. Like, like, and not even by having the biggest bands. I mean, look at you know at that time. I mean, Blink 182 was probably the biggest pop punk band, and you know, gr- or Green Day is another one. Like, there there were bigger bands than a lot of the ones on Drive Through Records, but Drive Through Records had a high volume. And they still had a bigger volume of bands that were out there doing it and touring. And maybe weren't even filling up arenas, but were filling up theaters and stuff. You know what I mean? Like like maybe something corporate or Midtown, neither of them were maybe as big as Blink-182, but they would go play and fill theaters and stuff, like, easily, like, no problem. So it's like, you know, a lot of that scene revolves around drive through records, whether it's the bands who are assigned to it, you know. And even later on, I mean, even outside of that and just popular culture, I mean, there's bands in top 40, you know, on top in top 40 music now where if you do if you go look at it, there's a member here, there's a member there who were in a drive-through band, you know, like or like in their earlier days, you know. I mean, there's so many bands out there who are, you know, attached to drive-through records in all these different ways that it's like it's insane to not give them some credit, you know, for what they've, you know, basically what they've accomplished and the imprint that they've left on music, you know, in punk and alternative and beyond. And, you know, I mean, Fat Records as well. Look at the 90s. I mean, Fat Records is still going strong. But look at the punk, look at punk rock in the 90s. Like, Fat Records, like, were just dominated it. Like, that's what bands wanted to sound like. Even bands that got big. Like, before Blink-182 got big, they sounded like a band who wanted to sound like Legwagon or Face to Face or Gutter Mouth or, like, whatever band. You know, they wanted to sound like a Fat Records band, basically, you know, or that's what they were going for because that's what they listened to. And, uh, you know, I mean, nothing wrong with it. And same with Epitaph. I mean, it was Fat Records and Epitaph ruled the 90s, basically, for punk rock. Like, the sound came from those two. And it's kind of interesting because if you go back a little further, I would say Lookout Records was kind of the beginning of 90s pop punk and punk rock. Like, you know, they had, like, Green Day and the Queers and the Mr. T Experience they may have put out some stuff by Screeching Weasel. I can't remember. Um, I mean, like Crimp Shrine. I mean, all those, all those, you know, bands from the Bay Area and stuff. Like late early eighties, early nineties. You know, they defined a lot of that because you know after Dookie broke, it's like Dookie could have been on Lookout Records. Like you know, Green Day sounded like all their content. You know, not in the way of like, oh, they all sound the same. But I just mean. They weren't doing anything terribly different than what a lot of other bands on Lookout Records were doing. They just happened to release that album, you know, on a major label where it's like that record still could have came out on Lookout Records. And I mean, I I think you have to give Lookout Records that credit because they were kind of, you know, the genesis of that and were really there, 
at ground zero of having a lot of those bands who even the ones who aren't even huge, who just have a huge influence. You know what I mean? Like the queers and the queers are big within punk rock, but it's like, you know, even though the queers maybe aren't like a household name, it's like how many bands were influenced by them, you know, and like went on and, and did stuff, you know, bands who got even bigger or were there, or were their contemporaries and whatnot. Just how many bands, you know, were, were affected by them, you know, I mean, record sales aside, you know, which that kind of, there's two different things. I mean, there's, there's the, there's the mainstream kind of acceptance where you sell a lot of, you know, records, but there's also kind of that like artistic, the artistic integrity and kind of getting, you know what I mean? It's, it's like Paul Westerberg, you know I mean? It's like a guy like that. It's like Paul Westerberg maybe never has gotten, you know, has never made, you know, $30 million off the replacements, but everyone respects him. That's a man who's respected. Like everyone in music knows, knows that name respects that name like loves that guy you know and and it's like he he has a different kind of he has a different kind of thing which i think a lot of musicians would like to have you know it's the flip side of it he may not have he may not become filthy rich off his music but i mean he got something else where you know i mean whether it's influencing just a plethora of bands and sounds and whatnot you know he kind of has that and that's kind of what labels you know, labels have a lot of those bands where, like I said, like with Drive Through Records, there's a lot of bands on Drive Through who were huge in the scene but never sold more than, say, 100,000 CDs, which today sounds like a lot. Back then really wasn't a ton, which is still a ton in a way because, I mean, you're still going, I mean, 100,000 people listening is still a lot of people. Like, you know, I don't think it's anything to, you know, just kind of like just kind of blow off. You know what I mean? Like it's a it's a pretty damn neat thing. But, you know, still just bands that weren't selling ungodly amounts or making the label super rich, but were ones that, you know, people respected and cared about, you know, that that could go play to a hearty, you know, a, you know, a nice club or something, you know, and it'd and it be filled and stuff like, you know, maybe not playing arenas or getting gold records, but they were doing really well. And, you know, also shaping the sound of a scene, you know, I mean, there's a there's a documentary coming out soon and I'd love to have the director on when it's when it comes out. I see he has some amazing interviews for the documentary, but it's called The Last Scene. And it's all about pop punk and emo basically in the early 2000s. And when you look at, you know, I follow on Instagram, when you look at, you know, the people that they're interviewing, half of them were on were in bands that were on drive through records. Like, tell me that drive through records did not define a scene. I mean, there's a documentary and even though it's not about drive through records, it's inadvertently going to be, you know, about drive through records to a certain degree, you know, which I'm sure they are proud. You know, I'm sure last scene, like I'm sure those guys are into drive through records. Like I'm sure there's not an issue with that, but it's like whether or not they want it to be drive through records is going to play a role in that. You know what I mean? That shows the importance of them. But, you know, going back to like fat records too, you know, that, and that's kind of before that. To me, I kind of go lookout records kind of did that in the late 80s, early 90s. And then from there, Green Day and all them got big. And then Fat Records and Epitaph in, say, the mid-90s to basically the rest of the 90s, from, like, 93, 94 and on, like, dominated the sound of what punk rock and pop punk was in that era. I mean, you just, I mean, for one, I still think to this day the Offspring Smash might be the best-selling independent record, like, on an independent label of all time. I mean, that thing sold, like, 11 million records I don't know when that that's and even that's outdated. I don't even know what it's up to now, but I mean that was 
like like this is the funny thing like i would love to interview like brett like mr brett and uh you know i mean as much as i would love to talk to him about like bad religion i'm more i'm probably more interested in in like the history of epitaph records and what i really want to know is that era when when the offspring came out they weren't you know smash came out i should say you know because it wasn't their first record but when smash came out like that sold so many records and Epitaph wasn't ready for it. Like it almost destroyed the label. Like they had to, I believe he refinanced his home. Like he had to do all these things. He had to like get a warehouse. Like, like that's how big that record was. Like, you know, we're, we're years, we're years removed now. That album came out. Like, I mean, that might even, that's another one that I think is like 30 something years old now. Hard to believe Maybe Well, maybe, maybe close to like 25, but anyway, you know, like that album was so huge. Like you forget that. And then, but that's the thing is to go, it was so huge and it was not on a major label. It was this little punk rock label ran by the guitarist of bad religion. You know what I mean? Like, so it's so interesting. I'd love to talk to Brett about that, like that whole era of it. But, you know, Epitaph, Epitaph and Fat just defined that sound. And I mean, just sold so much. I mean, you know, Epitaph probably sold more records, I would say, but in the long run, I think Fat Records kept the longevity of basically the label, the thing of that where you would just buy an album because it had that label on it, you know, or, you know, having like, you know, specific label tours that did really well because Epitaph is still great. But what Epitaph did, and I don't think I'm not damning them for this. And it's like, look, it, I, I don't love everything Epitaph puts out. I, I still love Epitaph. And I would say I like about 70% of what they put out. But throughout the years, they've brought in their horizons. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But they, you know, at some point, they were no longer just a punk rock label. You know, they had other bands. They had, you know, I mean, a lot of post-hardcore bands. You know, I mean, there's other bands like Falling in Reverse and a bunch of other ones that, you know, are just something different. I'm not, and once again, I'm not damning them for it. You know, they change with the times. They do different things. And it's also paid off. They've had how many huge records through the years and have, you know, also stayed tastemakers in a lot of ways. But with that being said, I think they're more spread out like a major label where, you know, you kind of have, you're less of a specialty label in that way where fat records, I think to this day, you're like, well, you know, you know what you're going to get, you know, not that, not that all the bands are carbon copies, but you're like, you're going to get a punk rock record. And even if it's not straight up punk rock, it's somehow, you know, ingrained in it. You know what I mean? Like, like if it's, if it's something acoustic, it's like, well, it's an acoustic punk band or it's folk punk or it's something, it's something in that realm. You know that there's a quality to it that you're going to like. So you trust that label. And, you know, I think that's just something, it's so hard to do that. I think if you ask a lot of labels, that's like the thing that they want more than anything. And they would kill to have like what drive through had, what, what fat records does have, you know, what epitaph had, like, that label loyalty people truly like you like they're wearing the merchandise you know what i mean like how like how many people are going out and buying interscope t-shirts you know what i mean like people aren't doing that like fat records people go buy fat rec hats and they buy t-shirts and stuff they buy the merch same with drive through like people want to wear that stuff it's not like oh here's free swag that we have to give out or else no one's going to wear it it's like no people would pay money you can to this day, you can go on Drive Through Records, whatever their website is for their merch, like DriveThroughMerch.com or something. Um, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but they do still have a merch store if you're into Drive Through, and I know they put up stuff, new stuff periodically. But you can still buy Drive Through Records hoodies, and they sell. You know what I mean? People pay thirty bucks for them, and I've you know I've bought the hoodies before. It's like people people pay money to have a label logo, and there's a lot of labels that don't have that that would kill for that. You know. 
I mean, there's other ones too. Like I look at, I look at, you know, different eras, like the era of drive-through in the early 2000s. You know, Doghouse Records was one, but they never. They were another one where I think they kind of, they did different things. Like they were never like a straight up pop punk label, but they did have a lot of bands that, you know, I mean, like, like really, if you look at their roster, like the Get Up Kids, All American Rejects for like a record, uh, Kofax, Limbeck, Say Anything. Their really early stuff was on there. Uh, River City High, Weather Box, With the Punches. And With the Punches are kind of later on. You know, that's kind of like, really like, I don't even know who's on Doghouse anymore. With the Punches is one of the last bands I really know that were on Doghouse. You know, and were kind of a pop punk one too. Because I think they do like indie stuff. You know, there's other bands that are very far away from that. And I think that's a, I think that's the difference of it. It's like, once again, I'm not damning them for being more eclectic or diverse. But it makes you, you know, you're, you have less of a chance to be into everything they put out. You know, Vagrant... Vagrant, like they're one that honestly, if I look back, and they're still they're still out there, but it's like if I look back, they are up there with Drive Through Records. I would still put Drive Through over them, but Vagrant Records. If you look in the early two thousands, like here's just a short list of bands that were on Vagrant Records in the early two thousands. We got the Get Up Kids, Alkaline Trio, Hot Rod Circuit, um, Paul Westerberg. I mean, that, and that's still a crazy one. I've talked about that before. I go on forever about it. I'm sure I will one episode, but it's so funny to me that Paul Westerberg was on vagrant records during this time, which as you can hear the bands I'm talking about, he was label mates. He was label mates with alkaline trio and senses fail. You know what I mean? He was, he was, he was, he was label mates with senses fail. That's pretty funny. Um, the hold steady was on there. Another one kind of weird, but cool. I mean, boys and girls in America, my favorite, my favorite, a hold steady record was out on vagrant and they put out some really solid stuff with them. The anniversary, the Lemonheads put out a couple good ones on there. Reggie and the full effects saves the day, put out some of their best stuff. Dashboard confessional face to face from autumn to ashes. Hey, Mercedes thrice. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, they were another one where, you know, they ended up. The thing with Vagrant, I think they're kind of celebrating a little more now as it's become like, you know, like, you know, they've done like 20 year reissues and stuff. But what kind of bummed me out with Vagrant, I think kind of at the end of the 2000s, was they kind of abandoned their their past. Like they started signing a lot of like indie bands and alternative bands. And it wasn't a thing of like, you know, Epitaph, say what you want about Epitaph signing different bands. Maybe you're not into everything they put out, but they still would put out punk bands. Like they never really stopped doing that. They may have they may have broadened their horizons, but they've always put out punk rock records. Vagrant, on the other hand, I feel like at some point kind of, you know, they kind of abandoned it and went with, you know, kind of with, with what they could sell and what they, you know, like what was popular you know, not so much in the top 40 cents, but kind of more in like the indie scene, but like what would sell more records, which I get the business part, but they really kind of abandoned that. You know, they didn't, I think, I think Senses Fail the Fire might've came out on Vagrant. And that's like, that's basically all she wrote as far as that kind of music being on Vagrant goes. But even that it had been a few years before they put out a lot that you'd go like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I, I will check out anything they put out. But what I will say is anything Vagrant put out from their beginning, which was like the, I think, 96 or 97, from I would say about 2007. I'd go 97 to 2007. If it, was on, if it was on Vagrant Records, I'll buy it. I don't have to hear it first. I will buy that album. If I see it in a dollar bin and it has Vagrant Records on it and it's during that era, yeah, I'll just buy the thing. I say, screw it. It's going to be good. And it is. And it always is. Like, that's... Like, that's what I can't stress. That's what I love. That's why I wanted to talk about this and like label loyalty, just being really actually being into a record label and being a fan of them 
is because when you do, that's an amazing thing to go into a record store and just go, oh, man, they put that out? Like, yeah, I'll check that out. You know, and it's sad that Vagrant Records turned their back on it. I mean, you know, they they put out some really good compilations. I mean, some some ones that really go up there are some of the best. I mean, because they, they were good, too, because they put a lot of unreleased stuff and demos and live things. So they put out a lot of comps where you'd get things you wouldn't find anywhere else on those compilations. It was absolutely, you know, as a fan, is amazing. And, uh, you know, it was just so good about that. And I don't want to shit talk Vagrant. I don't want to sit here and turn this into shitting on Vagrant. But it's like it, it does bum me out. And like I said, I think they've kind of turned around a little more. But it's like I, I want to say there was a time where I looked up the Vagrant Records website kind of like, I don't know, 2011, 2012. And, and they was like there was no trace of any of like the emo or pop punk bands that they that basically made that label what it was and made them money to begin with. Like there was no trace of them. Like there was like Paul, you could still find Paul Westerberg in the Hold Steady because that's still, you know, you still get like the indie cred with that. But like there was no sign of like fucking from Autumn to Ashes or like Senses Fail or Hot Rod Circuit or the Get Up Kids or Alkaline Trio. And it's like you just kind of shake your head and go like, man, that's the reason anyone knows what Vagrant Records is, you know? And like I said, I think they've gotten better at it again, but it's like there was a there was an era there where I really do feel like Vagrant kind of turned their back on what made them big and, you know, was sad. You know, not to say they're really even full-fledged now. Like, I wouldn't, you know, I don't really know who's on that label. I can tell you I don't really play them on the show, so they're not releasing, like, you know, punk, punk or alternative like they once were. I know they're not in that realm, but, you know, it, it's just a bummer that they're not like they once were. Because, like I said, you look at that roster and you just go, God damn. I mean, that was amazing. And going back even further, I mean, SST, really, if you want to talk about one of the first ones to have. And, th- and this is one I never realized until a couple years ago. I mean, you know, I wasn't – I really wasn't even alive for, like, SST's, like, real big years, like their salad days. I really wasn't – you know, I wasn't born yet. But, like, in the 80s, if you go back – all the punk and hardcore records that came out in like the early 80s, they were on SST. And then so many got reissued on SST. I mean, Black Flag obviously is is the obvious one. I mean, you know, SST, because Greg Ginn of Black Flag is obviously owns SST. But Black Flag, Descendants, Husker Du, Minutemen, Dinosaur Jr., The Meat Puppets, Bad Brains, Sonic Youth. I mean, like, really, like, it's insane the bands they had on that roster. You know, but that's another one where you kind of go, you know, I didn't realize that before, but now it's like I have a record store. It's like, oh, yeah, if it has SST on it. Another one kind of an era, though, because later era SST was not the same. You know, I don't they're not they're active in the sense that they keep things in like like in press. So you can go buy things off their web store and stuff. But they're not really, I think, releasing new stuff. I mean, like they released the last Black Flag record a few years ago. And I'm sure they'll release, like, Black Flag's been doing some live shows again. I'm sure they would release it on SST if they put something else out. But they're not really signing other bands or doing new things. They still kind of exist, though, like I said, you know, selling the old stuff. But, uh, you know, I mean, later on, it's kind of an acquired taste because, like, Greg Ginn would do some of his experimental stuff or they'd have, like, a lot more spoken word and, uh, you know, just different things like that, which, you know, if it's your thing, that's cool. Also, like, freeform jazz and just went different places, you know, like, like, which, once again, I'm not condemning a label for going other places and for, for not just putting out punk rock records. I'm not going screw SST because Greg Ginn likes, some, likes other things besides hardcore punk. Like, you know what I mean? It's okay to release other things besides Bad Brains. Like, that's all right. But, you know, I just think it's more, you know, it's kind of like more proceed with caution later on. 
But it's like, you know, if, if SST put out in the 80s, it's like, oh, no, like this is probably good. You know, and they're another one. I mean, a lot of a lot of labels, a lot of bands had issues with labels. SST is one of them famously, you know, another one who's had issues with bands. But once again, you can't deny that. I mean, there when you look at it, if SST didn't exist, I mean, you wouldn't have, you know, Black Flag's Damage, Descendants, Milo's go, Milo goes to college. I mean, like any of any of like, you know, the Minutemen stuff like you wouldn't have Zen Arcade by Who Screwed Do like there's so many records and bands you just wouldn't have any. I mean, Black Flag basically wouldn't exist, at least not in the capacity that it does, you know. So, I mean, you kind of if you look in that order, I almost go, you know, SST early 80s, Lookout Records. Really, you know, an epitaph is kind of in the middle there too. They're beginning, but I mean, their heyday was was you know kind of more like ten years later. But SST in the early '80s, kind of mid '80s, is epitaph begins and Lookout Records as well. And Lookout Records, I think, had more of an impact though in the late '80s. And then going into uh, you know the the early to mid '90s became more of epitaph and Fat Records. After that, I mean, I think Fat substi- you know kind of kept a lot of it and. Uh, you know, Epitaph did too, but I, I think also labels got hit, you know, and records weren't selling, but I think people are still loyal and still, you know, they just weren't paying for the music. They still love the music they're putting out. They just weren't paying for it anymore. But, you know, going into the into the 2000s, I mean, Epitaph and Fat Records, and then after that, drive Through Records kind of took over. And then really after that, drive Through Records was really one of the last labels to have that, you know. it's It's really like... There's labels that have had it like after like TDR Records is a great one. My buddy Mike Collins runs that. We've had a lot of his bands I've interviewed over the years, and he's just a good dude. Like we've we've fawned over our love for Drive Through Records. I mean, really, like that that's kind of the thing that brought us together. Besides, I mean, I love the bands he has on his label too. So I mean, there's a mutual love of those. But it's like we also love Drive Through Records and a lot of other bands. You know, a lot of mutual ones. But he what he does is another one where I go if Mike puts it out. I know it's good. Mike puts out just a few records a year. So I know that he's not just throwing things at a wall to see what sticks. He's putting out a couple records and I know he puts he puts his time and effort in. You know what I mean? Like TDR Records, Mike Collins runs that thing and I know he cares about. He has to put in so much work that he's not just putting out something to put it out. I know that he stands behind it and that really matters, you know. I really care that someone gives a shit about their labels. So like modern day TDR Records is one you know, um, another modern one, Wiretap Records, uh, which is a lot newer too. TDR Records has been doing it about a decade now. Wiretap, I think, has only been around since like maybe 2015, maybe 16. But you know, I mean, they they have like currently like Get Married. They put out the last Audio Karate album, uh, like Tiny Stills, Odd Robot, Answering Machine, um, a lot, and a bunch of others that I'm missing. But I mean, put out some really good stuff. And what I love about them is they've been putting out some comps. They just put out one not too long ago. You should go check out. Just go look up Wiretap Records. You'll find it on their Bandcamp page. But they're actually putting out compilations and stuff, which, you know, are highlighting their bands and really are kind of kind of have that spirit. Same with TDR Records of, of you know, like drive Through Records heyday where you where you really do have that, where you go, you know, hey, we don't just have to release these albums. We can We can be an entity as well. You know what I mean? Like fans can be a fan of us as well. They don't just have to be a fan of the music we put out. They can be into us as well, you know? And I I think Wiretap definitely possesses some of that as well too. You know, I mean, they're a great label with a lot of great up and coming bands, but you know, there's Pure Noise also. Pure Noise is another one that kind of has that. I would say they had it more. I would argue 
in the early 2010s, which is funny to say now, but like, like close to like maybe maybe like seven, and I wouldn't even you know I mean bands got bigger and stuff too. That was kind of like when they started, but you really like 2010 to 2015, the pop punk that came out during that time. I feel like so much of it came out off on Pure Noise, and if it didn't come out on that, so many of the bands were influenced by the bands that were on Pure Noise. I mean, the story so far, Handguns, um, Heart to Heart, uh, Reggie and the Full Effect later on signed with them, Senses Fail put out some records with them. Um, I mean, just so, so many. Hawthorne Heights, our buddies in Hawthorne Heights, put out their last record with them. And, uh, I mean, just so many more, too. Like I said, like, from 2010, 2015, Forever Came Calling. I mean, State Champs, State Champs, who are, I mean, huge now, put out their first couple uh, releases on Pure Noise Records. I mean, just a really important label to pop punk from the last decade. You know, I, I would give them full credit for that. And another one who put out some really cool, they didn't do compilations as much. They did put out a few, which were cool. But I thought what they did, which was neat too, was they would do pure noise tours. And they did a few of them that I went went and saw and were just amazing. We're really, really good at it. You know what I mean? Where you go like, oh yeah, you realize I love this label. Like I love every band on this tour and I love what this label does, you know? So, I mean, those are some more of the modern ones. I mean, TDR records of all of them, I would say do the best. I mean, shout out to Mike Collins, go check them out. I mean, you know, and like I said, it really says something because Mike doesn't put out 30 records a year. He puts out a handful of records, like truly a handful. I mean, there's some years where I think he puts out like two or three albums. So it's like when someone does that, you know that they're good. You know that they stand by them. It's not just, well, I guess I'll put this out. It's like it's not it's not like that, which a lot – there's a lot of labels that do that. Thus, you don't have label loyalty for everyone. You know, you're not a fan of every label. And, you know, I, I just I think that's true. You know, I know I know it definitely rings true for me. But, you know, those those are some Asian Man Records is another one that I would say that I would say still possesses it. They're kind of like fat records where I think their heyday of it was like the late 90s, early 2000s. But to this day, I mean, if if, if Mike Park puts something out, I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go. Well, if Mike Park likes it, I'm probably going to like it as well. You know, like that's someone who I can trust. I can trust if he's releasing it that it's probably good, you know, and I think that's important. I think people don't think about that a lot, but that's very important. You want labels that are putting out quality things because a lot of times they do control a scene and the sound of a scene. You may not think about it, but look at drive through records. They help define if you liked whether you liked, you know, basically what punk and pop punk sounded like in the early 2000s, you can either thank drive through records or you can damn them for it. But either way, they had an impact on it, whether you liked it or not. You know, and I and same with Fat Records, same with Epitaph. You know, these 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 labels had eras where they basically were the reason that you know certain eras sounded a certain way, and I think that's amazing. You know, it's absolutely amazing, and thank God they were putting out good stuff. You know, and thank God they weren't putting out shitty records when they were you know such influencers. And you know, not taking anything away from them now, they still are. You know, those are still huge labels. But, you know, I, I just thought that would be a fun topic for this week. I've enjoyed talking about it. And hit me up, powercordhour at gmail.com. I want to talk about it more. And maybe, like I said, maybe we'll bring it up again next week. Some of your favorite labels. What labels are you loyal to that you go, if they release it, I know I'm going to like it. I know I'm going to go check it out. You know, like what labels are special and near and dear to your heart? Hit me up and let me know. And uh, while you're at it, hit me up. And I have some free Power Chord Hour pins. I'd love to send you some. Uh, absolutely free. So just hit me up there. Check us out online. Give us a follow. We're at Power Chord Hour 
on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, SoundCloud, Facebook. We're on all those socials. Go give us a follow on all of those and uh, stay connected with the show. Check out the Power Chord Hour radio show every Friday night at 10 Eastern on 107.9 WRFA in Jamestown, New York. But don't fret it. You can listen that. You can listen that from anywhere. You got to listen at 10 Eastern. But you can stream the station at wrfalp.com and also the WRFA mobile app. Just go to the App Store, uh, a- Apple on- or iTunes only. We don't have an Android yet, but uh, just search WRFA in uh, in the App Store and you will find it. You can listen to us on there. But hit us up where all those places. Also, go check out last week's interview with Joe Rio of Hidden in Plain View. I absolutely loved it. And people, like I said, it's our most downloaded episode already. And, I mean, it, it has been out the shortest amount of time, too. So that tells you something. But uh, thank Joe again for uh, coming on and talking to us. And that is going to be this week's episode for the Power Chord Hour. And I also want to thank Podcorn, our sponsor, for this week's episode. So thank them. And uh, go check them out if you're a podcaster. And uh, for the Power Chord Hour, I'm Anthony Merchant. And until next week, thanks for listening.